Welcome to Writing Threads with Heather Westberg King and Stephanie Wilson. This is a podcast for people who love the power of story and writers and people who love writers and anyone who just likes real, honest conversation and good writing. Welcome. Let's get started. Happy May. Hey, May Day, May Day. I would have brought you a basket on your step if you weren't so far away from me. Oh, did you do that to people that are not far away from you? No, I didn't. You were the only one I would want to do that for. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. No, I just didn't even think of any of it until this very moment. Well, at least you thought that counts. (laughs) Yeah. How have you been, Steph? Good. Always good when we get to this point in our week. Right? It does feel good. So we have so much to talk about. I feel like we're going to have to just jump right into it. I'm ready. Okay, good. I'm going to start asking you questions. Um, but what we want to talk about, we were... we. We're talking about the hard stuff of parenting when your kids are not okay. And then this week, you and I have been talking a little bit about self-care. And um, as usual, we're consuming our podcasts and our shows and stuff. And some of those made us ponder. And one in particular that really... Um, felt like it was really good timing for me was um, I listened to Unlocking Us with Brene Brown, um, her two episode thing with uh, Father Richard Rohr. And then I basically made you listen to it too. I listened to both parts. Me too. And I I listened to parts of them over. Um, And now, of course, I've done the thing again where like sometimes when I'm listening to it in my car, I'll pull over like to go to the bookstore or something. And then I'll, I'll rewind it to the part I want to remember. And then I'll write notes and then they just end up staying in my car. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have them in front of me, but. Let um, me tell you real quick. I don't know if this will be helpful to you, but this is helpful to me when I'm listening to a podcast and I know it's at something I want to remember. I screenshot where it's at in the podcast. So I can just always go back to my script, you know, my photos. And I can yeah. just that exact mark on the podcast and then write it down later with a chance. Life hack. Life hacks with Steph. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Um, so the trajectory of our conversation, the threads, if you will, to me felt like, okay, there's a difficult conversation we had last week about um, struggle, basically, and being a caregiver and a mother, a single mother, um, all kinds of things that are hard and, and um, caregiving with sick kids. And, you know, when we talk, we often talk about how hard it is to just keep going and how hard it is to focus on self-care and I gotta let you know 
that for this whole week, I've been trying to come up with new words for self-care because I'm really sick of people telling me to focus on my self-care. It's kind of like putting your own oxygen mask on first. I'm like, I need new language. I need new language. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll think of something while we're talking. Yes. And actually I, I had, I had written something down about that is that instead of self-care, what I've been focusing on is self-love and not in a, like how it sounds like all neurotic. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, like mm-hmm. on your heart, I love you, you know, yeah. tell yourself that you love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm reminding my kids to do this, especially in those moments that they feel alone. A uh, big worry of mine is that they will be in a desperate and lonely moment and I don't want that for them ever, but that's not realistic as humans are going to feel that. And I can't be the only one who comforts them always. And they need to self-soothe as much as I was anti-cry it out. <laughs> but there's yeah. a way to help them self-regulate and you get to, you mature to be able to do that. And so I think it's important, put your hand on your heart. Like Anne tells us, give yourself permission to quiet your mind and settle your heart and, and you know, the best way to teach our kids, this is by modeling it for, <laughs> for like, you know, for ourselves. So, yeah. you know, I was really thinking about that as well. Um, and I actually recorded a voice memo, uh, and that's my fancy way for saying, sometimes I just record, they're actually videos of like the floor and myself talking with ideas because <laughs> I know I'll forget them this and I don't write it down. Um, sure. anyway, I, I, I spoke into my phone and said, when you decide to take care of you, you instantly feel better before you have to do anything. Just making the decision, thinking about it. So it doesn't even require you to get up right now. It doesn't require to take action or any energy, but it can give you energy just thinking about it. And so I wanted to start just allowing myself to think more about self-care and self-love or all of that. And mm-hmm. that for a while and see yeah. how that feels. And then maybe you will feel some motivation to keep moving towards that feeling. And then every little step will be towards taking care of you. And like, what I want is to get addicted to that. You know, I have, <laughs> have a very addictive personality and I am focused on addicting, getting addicted to what's good for me. Yeah. I've always been quite terrible at that, um, just saying. But I think how I arrived at what you're talking about, and I keep arriving at it, like I kind of did a tailspin, um, maybe kind of a pity party, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, when I first started thinking about what we were going to talk about and how I want to talk about it without being resentful of the words self-care and resentful of all the times I'm reminded, but because I am so underwater so much of the time and, and how you put it on Facebook this week uh, about me being the triage was like, yeah, (laughs) that's true. Triage. Yeah. And 
Like, when um, do you get to take a break? When do you um, get to sleep off your shift? I don't. So that was why, that's why it's hard to answer the question because even if, I mean, it's also fluid. Like, even if it's like, okay, well, I'm, everything seems to be going okay at my parents. And for those that haven't been here, my parents live next door. My mom has Alzheimer's and my dad has complications from a bone marrow transplant. Um, so, you know, if everything is done and taken care of over there and everything's fine. And even when my kids are with their dad, you know, like it's just, I don't know that my nervous system ever completely like leaves fight or flight because I'm prepared for the next problem to arise at all times. So even if I do have breaks, it's like any mom knows who has that intense period of mothering when it's just you and you're like at home with them all the time, you have to be hyper vigilant and you, or someone will fall and, you know, or hurt the other one or eat something they're not supposed to eat. And, you know, you just have, you never, you're never off. Um, and it, so it's a lot like that. Um, and I, you know, as we were preparing for this, I said, um, that every time I sit down, I have to get up, not because I cannot sit still. I would like to sit still, but I sit down and try to breathe or eat or watch better things. And I know the minutes are limited. I watch the time on my phone. It goes so fast. Or if there's time for an actual lengthy break, something comes up, someone calls out, I'm needed. It's urgent. There's a lot of urgency in my life. I'm stuck in overdrive. This is why it's so hard to answer people when they ask me what I'm doing to take care of myself. All I can say is that I get my mindset on doing that and then there's a crisis or an appointment, getting to work, picking someone up or dropping someone off. This is motherhood, right? especially motherhood in crisis mode. There's more than one person in my life that requires extra care. There are many. I require extra care too. I don't know what I'm doing or how to do it. I can't share a list of ways to care for myself or yourself when there is not time to care. I can only say that I still make it to the recovery meetings and that I nap when I can, which is more and more rare these days. I try to slow down to eat when I remember to eat. I try I try to remember that the urgent things are urgent, but that doesn't make all the other things so urgent. Leave the towels in the dryer, Heather. They are not a crisis. I'm so tired, so very, very tired. I start to map out the next day or so, wondering if there are hours in it for a nap. There are not. So I feel more tired thinking about that. My eyes close in strange situations like while the nice person was adjusting my glasses so they could stop slipping down my nose. She went into another room to use her glasses tools and I didn't realize she came back because I was sitting in the chair with my eyes closed. I wasn't asleep, I was just breathing and closing my eyes. That lasted about a minute and then I slid my glasses back on, thanked her and left for work. So that's how I feel a lot of the time. And then I listened to that Unlocking Us with Richard Rohr. And I was like, how can I keep forgetting this? I get reminded all the time about 
what you were talking about, like it's really about self-love, not necessarily self-care. Um, because you can go get your nails done all you want. You can get a thousand massages, but if you hate yourself or even don't like yourself, none of it is getting you to a place where you're going to find more peace and more rest. You have, so, yeah, it's like we are so soft to everyone, but we're so hard on ourselves and we know that. So, I mean, I know that mm -hmm. I want to be softer with myself, but I'm like the last person I'm going to be soft to. And so by the time I get to me, the, it's all sharp edges. I'm prickly. And then, mm -hmm. and then I feel like I go in the opposite direction of being soft to myself. Yeah. And isn't it interesting what Richard Rohr was saying? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I've got like six frogs in my throat today. <laughs> um, wasn't it interesting what Richard Rohr was saying about how we get that way? Like the endless love, the infinity of love is so often lost, lost on us because we are taught by you know just by being kids that it is all threat-based fear-based get it right kind of stuff and we are taught um in certain kinds of churches nothing about self-love isn't that mind-blowing to you yeah and I remember just the way I was brought up that self-love was of man that was not of God. You know, we have a sin nature. And so, you know what I'm saying? It was almost like we were steered away from. Yeah. Cause it would be, it would be like idolizing yourself. Right. Instead yeah. Of like it really being how to maintain the systems in your human body. Right. Like that, like we are not, I didn't even feel like I was taught about the love of God that much that God loves me. I mean, it could be said in passing, like maybe on a little note in Sunday school sometimes or with something you brought home or something like that. But what was preached or taught from Sunday school classrooms and the pulpit was so not at all about the love of God. So then we become these grown-ups who have no propensity to see themselves as these lovely, magical, mystical creatures that we actually are. And how do you go about doing anything and feel good and feel free and feel peace if you don't have that? So it is exactly what you're saying. <laughs> the dog totally agrees. That's my peepers. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's uh, about 
trying to love yourself and take care of yourself with actually like no well to pull from. So it hasn't been until the last several years that I have looked at this and understood it better and then became a little more capable of doing it. It's like, oh, this hand over your heart business, this, uh, this just not beating myself up, not thinking too hard about whether or not I did something right or wrong, just trying to kind of go with my flow, even if I do realize something was a mistake. It's all part, that's self-care to me. Like, like I told you uh, that it made me think of Sam on Better Things. Um, and people who haven't watched that show are probably so sick of us bringing it up. But um, Well, they just need to start watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when she, you know, you don't see her doing a lot of self-care. It's all bundled up in like doing it with her daughters and for her daughters or for her friends and with her friends. And, you know, um, there are many times through the seasons that when something really big goes down, she has, she just bends over and has her hands on her knees and she's just breathing like, you know, just trying to survive it. And I thought about how even that, when we are this overwhelmed and depleted and suffering, it's that is self-care. Just bending down for a little while, stretching my back and being like, I just need a second. Allowing <laughs> ourselves to breathe. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad it can get sometimes, right? That mm-hmm. just breathing is like, Look what I did for myself. I took a deep breath while my hands were on my knees. And I, I was just thinking about it too, because there are things we think we do that we think are a negative thing, where I was thinking about how I was getting a little prickly this week. And um, on top of like all of the things that you read, you know, that you were, how overwhelmed you are. We also have, you know, what we're in our mid forties and we have PMS and we, you know, so we have like chemical things as well and hormones Mm -hmm. and I will get prickly and like go inward. And then I feel bad for going inward. Sometimes I feel like that's not a warm, you know, soft thing to do. However, that is literally how I'm taking my breath. You know, that's Mm -hmm. me going in and then I take a breath so I can come back out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When I think for me, the, the greater, bigger picture of loving myself and this self-care thing is maybe begun when I quit drinking um, and started a program of recovery that I really knew nothing about at the start. And, um, you know, I continue to go to meetings because of the community 
And because I need to relearn it over and over and over because I have a tendency to be like, you know, well, I'm just going to be hard on myself and I'm just going to be sad. And um, I get reminded of stuff that works when I go to meetings. Um, and I hear the words spiritually fit a lot at meetings. and that, Like that's kind of the, the center of it all um, in staying sober is if we are spiritually fit and, you know, I have the kind of brain that's like, well, what does spiritually fit mean? And it's what we're talking about here. Are we living inside this love, this whatever it is that is greater than us, um, the love among people, the love we have for our kids and we're learning to have for ourselves? Um, are we looking with awe at the world and, and gratitude? Um, I know for sure it's not about spiritual perfection. And I think that's what religion tries to do. Um, spiritual progress is all it's about, like this transformation and change that you allow yourself to have over time. And if, and if I'm not doing that, I, I get in my head, get prickly, get sad, and think everything is stuck that way. And, and then there's no way I'm going to take care of myself. <laughs> you know, I just feel ashamed and disgusted by what I'm doing and being. Does that make any sense? Yeah. It's really being very hard on yourself. Yeah. I've struggled with that for a long time. But you know what else I think is really great is that um, I've noticed over the years that even when I'm just in total struggle mode and buried by crisis after crisis, not able to think about my soul and spirit, not able to connect in ways I want because life is just pulling me underwater it amazes me that I still grow. I mean, you can be, and I, I believe this is true of those that would be considered so lost by religion, right? Like, and those who would be considered so sinful. I have known a lot of people outside the bubbles of belief systems that their wisdom and their growth and change, even if they're just like getting their next fix every day, it is still happening. And that's why I believe so much in grace because we can function at a very low level and really struggle with ourselves and with the world around us and still get stronger and wiser and more loving. And not everybody does that. We 
you know, we put ourselves in our own cages a lot of the time, but I just think it is so, it's a beautiful part of life to watch that, that, and that's why, like, when we worry about our kids, I can think of that kind of thing and be like, let's just let them keep living. Let some time pass by and they will change and grow and especially if we can just really have the one thing hammered home that they're loved, they're loved, they're loved, and they're safe, and they have a place to go where they belong, they're going to figure it out. Yes. Even when even when they don't. Yes. And that's the same for us. And I was thinking, yeah. when you're in like the state many of us are in of that constant triage, we're in constant reaction mode. And, mm -hmm. and I was thinking about spiritual fitness and things like that. I, I definitely shy away from biblical stuff. I, I mm -hmm. definitely have moved beyond the Bible. Yeah. But, so when I talk about spiritual stuff for me, but I think what, and I've, and I wanted to talk to you about this because there were some great things that Richard uh, Brene uh, quoted some of Richard Rohr's um, things he's written before. And mm -hmm. um, there was, you know, when they were talking about spiritual experiences and things, and I was thinking, you know, I want to hear if you've had um, genuine, what you think genuine spiritual experiences. And, and one thing I was thinking about in this, and I'll explain my situations later, what I experienced was, I feel like I tend to be one that I am reactional and also I wait for it to come to me like I wait for it to find me instead of seeking it myself mm -hmm. and I think that like as we were just talking I was thinking you know I feel like I convinced myself that maybe that's how it works is that it, it it's just like random and and like I hope it finds me I I like desire those moments so much um, and I just hope they come by me and I can grab onto it when it's there. Um, but I realize that that's always chasing, you know, I don't know, like that mm -hmm. maybe has to chase me and I want to create it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. I feel like it's a, it's maybe an and both. Yeah. Because, you know, while you were saying that, it made me think of, I, I started to watch the documentary about um, Hillsong. Oh, it's on my list and it's been recommended to me. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I have, it's a Discovery Plus and I don't, I don't have a Discovery Plus um, whatever subscription. Um and but it let me watch like the whole first episode so yeah. I thought I had a subscription I was like oh great I, and then of course I couldn't watch the next episodes so now I'm like no I'm gonna have to do that thing where I do some sort of trial but anyway <clears throat> um as I was watching that and I was brought back in time because that will sum up a lot of my life um, 
I was thinking a lot about the emotional manipulation of the wonderful music and getting people connected by touching on emotion because yeah because people I mean let's be honest people are having trouble feeling anything these days and it's you know always been that way for a lot of people but you know you get sucked in by this must be the powerful one right way because it feels like this right right? and I definitely and actually when I was going to list like a couple of my like genuine spiritual experiences that I had that were like like beyond mystery that happened to me and I'm like whoa and it felt like the holy spirit moving through the room type of feeling mm-hmm. but I those in other settings you can have that at a sporting event or a play or a concert you know I've definitely experienced it because it's where one or what is it two or more are gathered you know yeah when you have yep. a group of people all focusing on one same thing feeling and 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 just amplifying that energy Mm -hmm. make you feel like some sort of spirit is moving through and I think it's our connection and oneness but Mm -hmm. places like Hillsong and the churches that I came out of used it as a tool to hook people yeah yeah and like and, and let's like get that, people and like that was the only way to feel that feeling this is you yes. know or actually telling them what that feeling was when they should be they they should define that themselves right right and you know knowing that when people feel good like that and they feel alive like that they're going to keep coming back and in this particular documentary it's a lot about money um you know, and the goals of making a lot of money, which is a whole other conversation and and just hard for me to wrap my head around. Like a lot of experience of in those heightened moments of feeling the Holy Spirit moving when they'll put an offering call in there, when people, they're most open and, and, and probably manipulated to give. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm just getting, no, because yeah, I, I, they kind of showed a little bit of it. Sorry, a little bit of that um, in the documentary is like, you know, just focusing on the fact that people are giving it a look at these, these generous people. It's all manipulation. I don't need to go on and on about it. But I, I have had some of those experiences in my life because I grew up with that. Um but to tell you the truth, I don't know about you, but I also, I think most of the time I was standing there going, why don't I feel anything? Like all these people have their hands up in their air and, and their eyes are closed. And here we are with proof again, that I'm just not, I'm not good enough. No, I definitely feel that because I have never been slain in the spirit and I've been around so much my whole life where people, I was at some sort of revival once where it was Tim's story. I'm like 
celebrity preacher at the time. And he did this thing where he would just wave his hand across this section of the church and people just fell except for me. And Uh I felt like I, I did feel why, why am I being left out? What to be honest, I was doing everything right. There was no, there was nothing I needed to repent for at that time, you know, that I knew of. I mean, a lot of times, but is it because I am in the sin that I shouldn't be in, you know, because I felt like that's the only thing that I feel like I'm lying about, you know, Mm -hmm. and so for so, so not only did I suffer through that, I was so like guilty. I felt I was made to feel so guilty. And, um, I think my only explanation for, cause I've been right there when it happens is maybe people are more susceptible to power of suggestion and, um, then there's the people like us. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That aren't, that just aren't. Yeah. I mean, you know, so for me, my spiritual, my spiritual experiences, have come very much in quieter ways. And I'll give you one example. I don't know if I brought this up another time, but there was one time in um, junior high youth group or or senior high youth group or whatever, um, where we were over at our youth pastor's house with his wife and um, just hanging out in their living room. And then they came out with like bowls big bowls and towels and they said we're going to wash each other's feet and these are teenagers right so (laughs) I don't know I don't remember the initial feeling about that you know but um but it turned into a very quiet intimate beautiful thing and I've often thought of that over the years and I I told them you know I still run into them sometimes. And I told them once, you know, you know, I got to tell you that time you had us wash each other's feet in your living room and it was so quiet and, you know, it was just peaceful and you weren't, I think they maybe said to say something kind to the person, but that they gave no other directions and they didn't preach about anything. And so we just all took turns doing that. And it was, isn't that what it's about, right? Like, isn't that like, here I am, here are my ugly feet. Here is, you know, here I am just the way I am and you're caring for me. And it's so beautiful and intimate. Yeah. So that was like, one of the only times I could think of, like when you were saying, you know, I was going to ask you what experiences you've had. Now you would think I would have had a hundred or more because my mom was one of the creators of the Sunshine Music Festival, which is a very big Christian music festival for 30 years. And, you know, it was all the come to Jesus moments and the raising of hands and there wasn't like speaking in tongues and being slain in the spirit and all that, but um, was all the big Christian name groups. And I did not find my connection to the people 
really other than in working behind the scenes, like serving food. So we see a pattern here, right? (laughs) But also that's why it's not one size fits all. You know, it's, we all, Mm -hmm. and maybe just like, I feel like people like us were, that is where they left us out. You know, Mm -hmm. we could not conform to what they were putting out there. Right. Needed to be because that didn't feed us. If anything, that starved me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is very, if you do believe the Bible and believe what, that we are created in God's image, that's so against that. And I wanted to share, because mm-hmm. you had even put, okay, so you shared with me a quote that I was going to, I had written down as well from the Unlocking Us episode with Richard Rohr, the episode mm-hmm. of spirituality, certitude, and infinite love. And it was in two parts. And this, I believe, was in the first part where Brene was reading Richard's quote that people who've had any genuine spiritual experience always know that they don't know. They are utterly humbled before mystery. They are in awe before the abyss of it all and wonder at eternity and a love which is incomprehensible to the mind. And I think the part is that we know that we don't know, you know, and from the way I was shaped was that you do know, and this is exactly how it is, you know, like it was just like, this is the box. And mm-hmm. that ever nourished me that, and that made me feel outside of it. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, what does, what does spiritual experience mean to you? Like well, when you describing how you were describing with the washing of the feet. Mm-hmm. Is there, can you boil that down to what did that really mean to you? I think it's anything I experience where there are true, um, like the ego is set aside and it's a focus on service and or just a revelation to me of of love and grace um and for me it does happen in the small beautiful everyday things i don't i never did feel comfortable with any of that emotional stuff used in churches and stuff Um, it just, you're right. It wasn't how we were made and that's okay. Um, and some people get a lot out of it and remember a lot of good things because they experienced it and that's just fine. Um, I just think it borders, you know, it's always tipping toward the unreal, you know, um, that's something that can't stick long-term. And that happened over and over and over. I saw that over and over, people getting pulled into the church and then having these highs and then finding out they were still themselves and life was still life and kind of going, well, why doesn't this always make me feel super good? 
So um, they have to after it. I'm sorry, what was what was the last part? So they chase after it and they keep coming. Yes. Feel it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, and it also didn't happen for me. Like there's a lot of people who get sober and have kind of a spiritual awakening. And I just don't have those markable moments. Like I can know the day I quit drinking, but it wasn't because, I mean, I, it wasn't the way other people describe it. I guess that's how I can put it is that just like people coming to some sort of religious belief or something, you know, maybe some of them study their way into that. Maybe some of them have a spiritual experience or a conversation with a bishop or pastor or whatever. But, um, you know, there's like some sort of, I'm really distracted because my boys are yelling from each other from their rooms far away. I'm sorry if you can hear a bunch of yelling. I hear them. Okay, good. Um, they're not in a fight, thankfully. They're just yelling, like, to, you know, to talk to each other. Um, so it, my experience was like waking up in the middle of the night and being like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And then really wrestling with it. But I don't, I've never been like, well, God woke me up. <laughs> yeah. And you know what I mean? Like it just sort of happened and it wasn't. And I, I was thinking of my heart and soul when I grappled with that, that night, I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I didn't want to feel that pain anymore. And I knew love still existed and that I had started to believe that I was unlovable and that that wasn't true. So in a way that was an awakening, but it wasn't like I was having some sort of high connection moment with a higher power. Just it was like a conversation with myself. <laughs> I think when I, well, when I was thinking about examples of what a spiritual experience was to me, I feel like the best way for me to describe it is when I was completely outside of myself. And I think I'm the type of person that is just always on, never off, always on and like always in my head. Mm Mm-hmm it's very rare to find something that can take me out of my head and take me out. So it was, I think I was like 19, 20 and I um, went to France for like this 10 day tour. My aunt at the time was a French teacher and she was taking a class. And so I could go as a chaperone and get this great deal. It was an amazing experience. I'm so glad at 19, I, was able to put that into place. And we visited um, the Normandy American Cemetery. Uh, So first we visited the Cannes Memorial in France, which is a museum uh, commemorating World War II and the battle for Cannes. And it's a museum dedicated to the history of 20th century. And it showed horrific footage of the war, but it's also Mm -hmm. fragility of peace. And then 
we drove a little way after viewing like some intense films and and just looking in, in the museum and learning about what you know what really happened and I was just like you know 19 years old and pretty clueless we went to Norm, uh, the Normandy American Cemetery which is like the beaches of Normandy it's there and yeah. it's it's the resting place for over 9,000 of our military dead. And just this little 19 year old, I get out of the vehicle that we were in like the big van. And I remember just stepping foot on the ground there and being just overcome with emotion and just this, I I can't even explain it. Mm -hmm. I was inside of myself. I was weeping I would Mm -hmm. no idea why, like, I just like, what in the world? It just overcame me. And it was beautiful. It was like, it wasn't sad. I mean, it was, it was just emotional and it felt like an out of body spiritual experience that I will never forget. Yeah. Yeah. Can't explain it. Yes. I think it's always outside of our, our sense of place and sense of self, right? Like, maybe not always, but I get it. I mean, I I think it not happening um, in churches built to serve themselves makes a lot of sense. And, And you're at a place like that with such quiet, history and you can still feel it because there's no other noise yeah there was no church service happening there was no christian music playing you know Mm -hmm. and there and i believe experiences like that plus another one that i was going to mention was at a blistum conference in 2010 which i do believe blogging definitely helped me really understand and help me escape that the beliefs that I was, you know, so locked into before. So now mm-hmm. it's funny to think about it until now, but being able to experience those moments outside of church, you know, outside of being in my Christian bubble mm-hmm. helped guide me out because then, yeah. Oh, this is not the church is not the only place to feel this. And so there on. Um, Bliston, Blistum 2010 in Nashville. It was closing night and there was like a big like dance party where we all are in our pajamas. And mm-hmm. I had Ivy there, baby wearing Ivy. And we ended up, a group of us ended up going up to a private suite that I believe was probably Barbara, jo- Barbara Jones's suite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um I just, I just searched my old blog to find, cause I was like, I know I wrote about this and I have a beautiful photo of this night that Michelle Lane took, Michi, do you remember her? Um, yeah. And, and I wrote, well, basically what happened was in that private suite, we just like kind of gathered around and I had one of those experiences where it was, it was absolute bliss. Oh, I didn't mean, <laughs> I uh, didn't. Blissdom. I didn't mean, but it was, it, it, yeah. was, it was a true bliss and it wasn't just because of blogging, <laughs> Yeah, what I wrote. And I'm so glad I did write this down there. Yeah. 
we filled the room and sat in chairs, couches, and the floor in a circle. This is where it's going to be really hard for me to explain what happened. And as anticlimactic as it may sound, you really had to be there. A constant thread of a sense of belonging was woven through the entire conference, but it really came to completion at this moment. We all had different goals for our lives, blogs that weekend, but we all made sense in our own way. And isn't it awesome when you have some people that know your language, validating that you make sense. Ivy woke up at one point and I nursed her back to sleep. Liz Strauss was on my right and it was so precious. She placed her hand on Ivy's head. It just felt like what we were doing in that room was revolutionary and supernatural. Hmm. And Liz Strauss, um, she passed away. So I, I'm really mm -hmm. glad I recorded that moment. Yeah. And I will always hold that night was so special. And it was, I mean, and I know of others that were there remember it too. Mm -hmm. And sure. like I said, those moments just empowered me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Seek out more of those moments. Yeah. You know, when you were saying that, I'm like, oh, the serenity suite yes. at bloggers, you know, I, I loved doing that. And there was this one particular moment that didn't have, you know, it just landed there. This beautiful moment just landed there. There was a, a bunch of Canadians in the room and we'd been like making jokes about all kinds of things. And we were having such a good time together. Just fantastic people filling the room and we laughed so hard. And then for some reason, we told them we wanted them to sing the Canadian anthem. So they're like, okay, fine. Okay. And they all stood up and it's like four or five of them and blew our minds. Like just, they could sing and it was random. Like they weren't like all best friends who sing together or something. It was just this powerful, we all had tears running down our face, like, because it was so beautiful. And that is exactly what we're talking about, you know, it's just, and the rest of us are just still and quiet and just bearing witness to this moment that was, I mean, it could have just been silly. Like they could have been all crazy, silly and singing their anthem, but they. And I imagine it started out as hilarious. Yeah. And then they just started singing so beautifully and it was just so cool. I loved it so much. And I think the other reason that true connection and spiritual moments that actually stick to your ribs. Um, I think they don't happen as much in traditional church ways because there isn't the vulnerability mixed in. So when you're talking about what happened at Listom, it reminded me of um, the creative Alliance that um, our friend Lee did so jealous not to get to go to that yeah it was really great and you know <clears throat> it was planned around building each other up but it was it was also planned around we're going to spend some time at night under this big tent you know and and everyone's going to go around and say out loud the things they would never dare to say about what they would really love to be doing and it was so 
powerful. Like, I mean, and people were saying things like, I want to move to Costa Rica. I feel like you can't just uproot your family away from your extended family and go to Costa Rica. And we would be like, I think you can go to Costa Rica, you know, just, and now that person has lived in Costa Rica for many years and is so happy. And another person was like, I would love to be one of those piano players in a bar, like at a hotel bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just random I stuff. Love- yes. That just like lights you up inside when you think about it. Everybody got to say that out loud and then be told that they are totally capable of doing it. And then what followed was we stayed in a group on Facebook where we connected each other with people who could connect to your dream. That's incredible. It was incredible. But yeah, I, I believe that was a spiritual experience too. Just this, because vulnerability has to be a part of it, right? I'm not just like played up emotions, but vulnerability in that's hard. That's hard to say what you really think you can do and what you really want to do. There's a lot of people saying things like, I want to write a book about whatever, you know, or I want to be a photographer, but I just do it for fun. You know, just all kinds of things. And, and so many people went on to make those things happen that were in that room. That was so, good. yeah, yeah. It was really beautiful. Um, Okay, so we are almost to an hour already, Steph, because that's how we roll. Um, Another quote from Richard Rohr that we both loved, that kind of what we were getting at earlier about change and growth. um, And I think that's part of spiritual fitness for me, that thing where I can change and grow and then that makes me go, Oh, I do love you, Heather. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. Um, But it's when they were talking about um, change. And he says, change is considered unfortunate. Everyone desires transformation, but no one wants to change. I just thought that was so powerful. I did too. I wrote down the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And that made you think about something else, didn't it? Yeah, I was thinking about, well, because they even talk about, you know, the anti-trans bills and mm-hmm. and people who believe trans people are not accepted by God. And, yes. you know, he, uh, I believe it was Richard that piped in and said, it's like they're telling God who they can love or shouldn't love who God can or shouldn't love. And he said, God wants us to be who we are created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. I, I can say those words. I don't really believe them, but I know people do. And the people that are behind the anti-trans bills, you know what I'm saying? Like, so if this is what they're, this is what they believe. And these are their words you know, mm-hmm. doing the opposite. And yeah. I thought of 
the often spoken verse, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You would hear that so much. Mm -hmm. I think about the example of, and just like you were talking, you have to wear glasses. I wear glasses and I have since elementary school and many believers wear glasses and they are still, are they still fearfully and wonderfully made? Should we just go without the corrective tools that help us see and just be who we are physically? And so if this is just our body and our soul is what really matters, why wouldn't it be okay to have your body match your soul? Mm. Okay. Especially if these people created in God's image and, and these people that were created in God's image discover ways to help us have these tools. So I just feel like I wish people could wrap their minds around that. Yeah. And not argue it that it's different than glasses. Yeah. Cause that's the, that would be the argument, you know, and it's, um, I just love the way Richard Rohr thinks and what he says, because it's just like, no, that just doesn't work because it's not infinite love. It's conditional. Mm -hmm. And it's the, the person claiming they know, they know what they do not know. Right. There, if, if the spiritual experience is, if the person that has a spiritual experience feels if like Richard Rohr explained, it's that, you know, that you do not know Mm -hmm. these people are missing it. Yeah. Yeah. And what, how did, how does it make you feel on an ongoing basis? All of this fussing. About trans stuff? Yeah. Oh. Well, I feel like I feel pretty numb. I think I'm pretty numb right now to it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, am I too protected and not allowing myself to feel what's really happening? Um, Like I'm anesthetized. Maybe it's Mm self-protection. But something that's important to me that I maintain is that I'm very focused on my own self and my body language. When I talk about Luna, no matter who I'm talking to, whether they know our story or not, mm-hmm. don't hesitate. I don't get a hushed tone. I don't act like it's anything shameful or like, you know, odd about our lives. Mm -hmm. um, like so instead of it taking my breath like you know or what someone might react I it feels like a deep breath and I want that to be how it always is you know Mm -hmm. like taking a deep breath and by saying it take taking a deep breath I mean that it feels good right um, cleansing breath yeah and I want it to feel like that for people to talk about being trans or having a trans kiddo or, you know, someone that's questioning their gender, let it be a deep breath, you know, mm-hmm. let it be a release um, and then embrace. And, you know, maybe we need to start adjusting our breathing before we even think about what we are going to say or how to say it. And yeah. 
there's a better chance for love to come out when you breathe first. Oh, Steph, I love that so much. It's so good. Um, so we may talk in our next episode some more about this stuff. Um, all of the above. I think it all wraps together because what you just said is not just self-care for you. That that cleansing breath before you even try to do or say anything. And then just the unashamed, unapologetic stance. There's nothing to talk in hushed tones about. Um, what is, what that is doing for Luna? I don't know that you'll ever know. Cause imagine if it wasn't that way. Imagine if you got all awkward and like stiff anytime it came up and, and how painful that would be. And you just have naturally loved well. You deserve a lot of hand over your heart. I love you stuffs. Mm, I have my hand on my heart right now. It's hard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because I think, yes, Luna's got that. But there are so many that don't have yeah. that. And that really breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It does not have to be that way. No. No. And it is, it's like, you know, I think of any of my kids, if they came to me with any of anything, anything that I just didn't know, and now I'm going to know that might be um, not palatable for other people or whatever. I just can't stop seeing them simply as who they are, no matter what is going on inside or what changes. It's just like, oh, that's my Asher. That's my Elsie, you know, like it's, Oh, he's my Miles. It doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously we have to respond to these things, but if we could just see them with those love lenses all the time, and you, you're such an amazing example of that. And I hope more and more and more people hear it from you because you're going to help a lot of people. So um, on that note, Let's just, uh, we were going to end with some fun stuff, sharing. Um, we have a lot of friends from what it was like before in the old blogging days and have kept in touch with them and watching what they're doing. And we thought it would be fun to share um, some stuff that people are doing to make sure you go out and get their book or whatever we're telling you about. So, but before that, share the lovey quote. It's so awesome stuff. Oh yeah. Well, you need to check out, if you go to lovey, so a lovey, a Jones, I really hope I'm saying her name correctly. Mm-hmm. That, that's important to me. <laughs> anyway. I know, I know. She has, if you go to her Facebook, and you probably can get this elsewhere, but she has um, put a number out so you can receive texts from her. And and so 
and actually I saw she shared this and then some someone I know shared this that she posts it was one of her texts if you're part of this group uh she said I recently saw a meme that said something around how we become the grown-ups that the child versions of us would feel safe with and it made my eyes sweat truly little lovey would rest in the presence of adult lovey who would also buy her snacks and shoes in your toughest days remember that we are who we needed when we were growing up and i love that for us all isn't it fantastic mm -hmm. so at lovey l-u-v-v-i-e yes um to find lovey and then um let's and, see and she has a, a new book coming out actually and oh, i um, I don't know if it's something maybe we could talk about for next week because I have a, other, a few other things that go with it. She has a new book coming out for teens. It comes out May 17th. It's called Rising Troublemaker. And um, so I know she's, you know, big on promoting that, but that I think I can't wait to read it. And I think it's going to be great. It's, it's, yeah. it's right up our alley, basically. Um, yes. But I was thinking about this the post about you know we are who we needed when we were growing up so we are now who we are who we needed when we were growing up and I think about well is that also who we are to our kids and mm. I think why didn't we have that you know like why wasn't that the case for us and I feel like I need to have a lot of compassion for the adults who raised us um, it was a very different time. And mm -hmm. I was just this week, I was watching Captive Audience on Hulu. It's a three part series. It's true crime um, mm -hmm. content warning. It's difficult subject matter about Steven Strainer. Remember the movie? I know my first name is Steven, that TV movie. Yeah, I watched it too, Steph. You watched the Hulu one? Of course I did. Okay, well, awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. He was kidnapped in 1972 at age seven. And then in 1980, he escaped and returned home a hero at age 14. And what struck me was how, it, this was 1980, the media just swarmed him, followed him to school, asked him very personal questions. No one there mm -hmm. to or protect him from this. And, and he was so innocent that he just, you know, answered and and just couldn't do these people away yeah his mother talks about the reasoning behind that was that she wanted to share his homecoming with the world and so this poor kid who'd been kidnapped for seven years mm -hmm. in his family again surrounded by a crowd of hundreds of people mostly strangers on top of the news reporting it to the entire world and it was like no one gave a thought to a soft and gentle re-entry or yeah. needs might have been it was like that wasn't even on people's minds back then and right. father was against therapy this yeah beautiful human yep went through all of this and his family was against therapy psychotherapy because back then that was not something people really were about they it was like common that mm -hmm. back then that trauma and healing and mental illness were unmentionables and you don't yes. talk, you know 
And yeah, on top of that, his abuser and kidnapper was like only served five years for the crime. You know, this is how it And this is the time when our people raised us. Yeah. So I can't remember how hard that must have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't know until you know. Yeah. Um, Let's give one more plug before we leave. Unless there's, is there anything else you want to share before I plug someone? (laughs) Plug someone. Oh, is there anything else you want to share before I plug someone else? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, So let's go with um, Jen Mann. Jen Mann has been around putting out so much content and working so hard for so many years. And she has the hilarious books, People I Want to Punch in the Throat, based off of her hugely successful blog. Um, And then it it turned into things like People I Want to Punch in the Throat on the Holidays and People I Want to Punch in the Throat at Work, you know, just stuff like that. But um, very funny woman doing a lot of things. And um, she's actually going through a really difficult medical scare with one of her kids right now. Um, So, you know, you can learn more of that and support her um, through her Facebook page. She's Jen Mann with um, two N's on the man. And um, yeah, easy to Google, easy to find. And um, what's the the, the latest book that has come out already, so it's gettable, is um, Midlife Bites. Um, people are really enjoying it, very excited about it. She's really honest about the struggle she's going through. I don't remember her exact age. I believe she was nearing 50 last I checked. Um, not that I checked. I don't check in with people and say, hey, now how old are you again? Um, but yeah, she's in the midlife mix with all the parent stuff and all the work stuff and the kids stuff and, um, has written another funny yet relatable, honest book, um, and deserves every purchase of that book. Cause that woman is, she really cares about the world and she works really hard to put good stuff into it and make us laugh. So there you have it. There's so, so much good stuff coming up. Right? I'm excited to keep sharing it. So, and more and more people are being bold and courageous and honest. And that's, yep. I, that's what I want to read. Yes. Yes, totally. And I will let you know, I'm going to listen to your mother, Twin Cities, on Wednesday. Oh, how I wish I could listen to your do not disturb shut off and my phone started buzzing anyway um yeah i i'm excited it will be good and you know i'm just a friend and i are doing the drive a couple hours away and so yeah anybody listening if you have not been to a listen to your mother's show look it up because there might be one near you created by an imig and carried on by lots of brilliant producers and directors happening all over the country yeah Thank you for talking to me again, Steph. 
Thanks for I, that. I needed that. There was a lot to think about this week. We're going to love ourselves this week. Okay. It's a deal. Every day. Okay. And I'll talk to you soon. Just think about it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to put it into action. Just think. And we could do it. Yeah, just think about it. That's all. Sometimes there's no room for actions. Yeah. Okay, I love you. In next week. Okay. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Oh, one more thing. It's Heather here reminding you to subscribe wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Maybe say something about the podcast if you liked it. Maybe tell your friends about the podcast so we can all join in on these conversations together that we hope you find refreshingly, overly honest. Have a good week. See you next time.